missed you guys. How you doing? It's good to see you. Uh, real quick, because I don't want you to be nervous that this will be a regular part of your life. And I made one New Year's resolution to preach in these clogs. So that's happening today. And I won't make you look at the world's most beautiful, ugly shoes every Sunday. Uh, man, it is good to be back together again, uh, starting a new year on a new sermon series. Uh, Living Hope is what we're going to be looking at for the next two months. If you have your Bible, open it to 1 Peter chapter 1. So we're going to walk through uh, 1 Peter for the next eight weeks, looking at hope. Today we're going to look at the first 12 verses. First, though, let's start with a picture from two years ago of some novice swimmers. Allow me, if you will, to draw your attention to the middle child in this picture. This is my now eight-year-old daughter, Dewey, when she was six years old. That's at Huntington Beach, California. The picture was taken two years ago, right around the time we were at a friend's house in Newport Beach, and our kids were swimming in their pool. And I always get nervous when my kids are in water, always. Because we're land creatures. We are. Even now that they can swim, it makes me uncomfortable. But this was when Dewey still didn't swim all that great. She was still learning. So when she asked me, Daddy, can I go into the deep end? I was like, I, I don't know, love. I'm not sure you're ready for that. A couple minutes later, she said, Daddy, can I go into the hot tub? I said, I don't know, love. That water gets pretty choppy. Like it had the jets and stuff, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm doing it right. I'm just telling you what I did. A few minutes later, she said, Daddy, watch me do a trick. And I said, please be careful, love. You're not a great swimmer yet. And my friend Eric was frustrated at this point. And he said, bro, calm down. She's wearing a life vest. <laughs> and she was. She, my anxiety, my worry, my helicopter pool parenting. Dewey couldn't sink. Doesn't matter how deep the water is, Dewey can't sink. Doesn't matter how choppy the water gets, Dewey can't sink. It doesn't matter if she can't completely, perfectly execute the pool twirl or if she gets smashed by a sister in the deep end. Dewey has a life vest and Dewey can't sink. Dewey floats. That is what we are after in our hearts in this series in 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter writing to Christians in the first century and to Christians today wants to help us realize that in all of the chaos that we live in, we have in Jesus Christ the one thing that cannot be sunk. We have living hope. We have hope that doesn't, certainly probably for this room of gray chairs, charcoal, if we have it, do we live like we have that hope? Do you have a real hope that functions for you like Dewey's life vest? Do you have something that keeps your soul buoyed in the dark days? Anything 
Anything in your life that supports your joy when your joy finds itself in the deep end of this life? Do you have a means? Do you simply have a means by which your heart stays afloat in seasons of suffering? And you don't need me to convince you of seasons of suffering, but I'll still take a moment to do it. We know that the world we live in is a world of suffering. In fact, uh, Dewey's real name is Brooklyn Hope Hiltabital. And Brooklyn means from the land of the broken. And we wanted our daughter's name to mean hope in the land of the broken. But then our oldest daughter started calling her Dewey, <laughs> which doesn't have quite the same spiritual significance. But the truth is we live in the land of the broken and we know it two weeks ago. We talked about Leroy being in the hospital. Last week, Leroy died and is now with Jesus. It's the land of the broken. Scarlett and I have friends we've had for years in Spring Hill. Just this last week, their 18-year-old daughter had a hysterectomy. In a very mundane sense, I had a 42nd birthday yesterday. Oh, that's literally one year closer to death. It's true. This is the world we live in. We celebrate, oh, I had two parties about being one year closer to death. <laughs> Hope shines brightest against reality. And, and in fact, think about the year 2023. Like, at least for me personally, and I don't know all the ins and outs of all your, your lives yet, but for most of the people I know, it was a season of suffering, like, like a, a high watermark year for suffering. Two actual wars, on and on. And, what, and you have whatever it is that comes to your mind right now as I'm talking about this. Like Maybe today your chin is just above the waterline of hopelessness. What hope do you have? The Apostle Paul, excuse me, Peter, Paul said some great things too. 2,000 years ago, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Peter was writing to you. He was writing to me. In fact, he was writing to, to, to a group of followers of Jesus in a more difficult situation than anything we find ourselves in. Look, look at the, to the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. As we think about hope in our hopeless times, focus on the phrase first, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad. This is super important for our understanding of the book that we're going to study together, the book of 1 Peter. Peter was writing to a group of Christians in an unfathomably difficult circumstance. The audience of this book were those exiled and dispersed around the nations as a result of actual Christian persecution. Peter was writing in the midst of one of the most, if not the most, intense season of persecution in the history of the church. It was like, we got to snuff this out quickly. <laughs> Christians to lions, this was it. Like, this is what's happening. 
They're being killed. They're being banished from their homes for following Jesus. That's the people that Peter is writing to when he writes what we just read. People facing severe oppression, becoming exiles in other lands. And it's not like they didn't also have all the other struggles that we have worse than we have it. They had our difficulties more so. Uh, they, Christians in the first century still had to go to work on Monday. But they didn't have Keurig machines. It's true. I mean, I guess I've not read that in any scholarly work. My assumption is they did not have Keurig machines. They had broken bones, but no ibuprofen. They did. I, the average lifespan at that time I read was 35 to 40 years old. That's actually on the high end of the estimate. We can't even really imagine their lives. Short, difficult lives in the face of harsh persecution. And Peter says to them, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The original audience had such, such a seemingly hopeless situation that Peter's proclamation could almost sound tone deaf. Grace and peace! But the reality of their circumstances only makes the power of what Peter is expressing more beautiful, right? For example, think about the phrase sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. What a potentially off-putting phrase. If there's anyone in this room who's not a Christian, like if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, that could be a strange thing to hear, sprinkled by the blood. But it wasn't weird to the people that Peter was writing to. In fact, it was beautiful. And what's crazy for those of us here who have experienced the work of Jesus, who do know him, when we hear that phrase, it should sound like life itself. It's one of the most special concepts you'll hear. And that's because the blood of Jesus, when he sacrificed himself in our place, on our cross, for our sin, it's his blood that rescues us, that changes us, that saves us, that transforms us, that makes us new. The blood of Jesus is what makes hope possible at all. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no taking away of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin without Jesus' blood being spilled instead of ours. So sprinkled by the blood is a striking way of expressing that the Peter to whom uh, the, the people to whom Peter was writing then and now have life when they should have death. It reminds me, desperately needed a double lung transplant. Well, she had whatever she had that caused that cystic fibrosis. See, it's great to have help right here. If you had seen a picture of her on Facebook 10 years ago, you would have thought that she was days away from passing away. I mean, she was on death's door. She needed a double lung transplant, and then it happened, and doctors put somebody else's lungs inside her chest, and it worked. She's lived for 10 more years now with these lungs. But think about this. For years before and after, I hated when 
she or her husband, who they're wonderful people, but when they showed up in the Facebook feed, it was like gruesome. Like she posted gruesome pictures of double lung transplants. She regularly used the, has the hashtag double lung transplant. And for those of us who have not had a double lung transplant, who have not been dying because we didn't have healthy lungs that work, double lung trans, double lung trans, I can't, I'm saying it too many times, double lung transplant language and especially double lung transplant pictures in our Facebook feeds was unsettling, legitimately uncomfortable, but for her it was beautiful. She couldn't stop posting about it. Years later, double lung, pictures of people's new lungs in their old bodies, grotesque, double lung transplant, hashtag double lung transplant for her means life instead of death. And the same thing is true about sprinkled by the blood. It's not a gross phrase. It's not a throwaway phrase. It's life itself. I'm not sure that I'm going to use sprinkled by the blood as my hashtag on social media, but it's meaning is an incredible description of those of us who have been rescued from our sin, who have been rescued from our death, who have been rescued from ourselves by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now, as we said, the powerful outcome of that transformation, the amazing result of being sprinkled by the blood of Christ that Peter is communicating to the church then in the first century and now is hope. Peter wanted the people that he was writing to to know that hope was a real thing that they could both have and experience. Hope is a real thing that you can both have and experience. So let's look at the next few verses to see what hope actually looks like in difficult times. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Hope is a gift given to you. Hope is something that is given to, to you when you are Hashtag sprinkled by the blood. Read along in verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrectable, undefied, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is really good stuff to read, BTW. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter writes, God has given you, given you new birth into what? The name of the series? Living Hope. Kevin was ready. Thank you, sir. New birth. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So hope is a gift. The first thing you must settle in your heart, in your head, if you would ever have hope, is that it's a gift. It's a result. It's an outcome of the new birth that is only available through resurrection in Christ, which means we can't make our own hope because we can't make new birth. We, can't, we can only receive it. Right? We can't earn hope because we can't earn salvation. We only get it as a gift. So as much as we want hope, as much as I don't really have to convince anybody in this room that we need it, hope is not a program that we can participate in. Like, if there was a podcast series on how to achieve hope, 
it would probably just be someone reading Romans 15, 13 over and over and over again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Episode two, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. Episode three, may the God of hope fill you. You can't find hope, you have to be filled with it. You can't grab hope, you have to be given it. And when it is given to you through Christ, look at what it is. It's a bunch of things, and we're not even going to do an exhaustive search, but at fir- first, it's a, it's a hope of a perfect future. I put, it all, I put perfect in all caps in my notes, even though you're not going to see it. Listen again to verses 3 through 4. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance. This is where you were going, Sam. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I won't speak for you. I don't think about heaven enough. When we do, we remember what has been secured for us, and that remembering is transformational. When is the last time that you recognized the fact that those of us, here is two weeks ago on Christmas Eve, because I talked about it then, and that the, this theme started two weeks ago. But remember that in Jesus, because of Jesus, through Jesus, we are going from here to there. Here, there is heartache. There, nothing will hurt. Here, we have chaos. There, we'll know only peace. Here, there are tears, grief, death, pain, Fill in your own blank. There, Revelation 21 says, He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Try to let, just friends right here, try to let your heart believe and remember that right now. Whatever you're suffering through, whatever it is that you dread at this moment is temporary, it won't last. It's temporary, and heaven is coming. In Jesus, we have the hope of a heavenly future, but that's not all Peter says we are given. Given. We have the hope of a heavenly inheritance, but it isn't only a deferred to the future hope. We can have a tendency to think of Christian hope as a 401k, like I'm going to have a bunch of money that I'd rather have now taken out of my paycheck so that it can be worth more in the future. Or, you know, I'm going to have a lot of suffering in this world, but in the future, it'll all be worth it and more in heaven. And guys, one day it will be worth it and more in heaven. But it's also worth it right now because Peter says we have a living hope right now. It's not just a deferred hope, it's a living hope. It's not just a future hope, it's a living hope. Joy in Jesus is the only hope that you can have right now that you can keep right now. This is a living hope as opposed to everything else being a dying hope. Maybe somebody in our church, we're not a big church, but it's possible that somebody in our church has started or is starting a new relationship. You found the guy or the girl you hope is the one. Maybe this is for teens. I don't know. 
probably. You've got butterflies. You hope, you hope that person makes you happy for the rest of your life. But think about those last five words. The rest of your life. The relationship that gives you butterflies, no matter what, is doomed. Man, I get to, I love being the bearer of the best news for you guys. I love it. It's doomed. Any human relationship by default is a dying hope. Some of you, that's a dying hope. The moment you have that job, you are already moving inescapably toward not having that job. It's the case with every possible hope outside of a soul-shaping, life-vesting friendship with Jesus, the creator of the universe. Every hope but that hope is a hope with an end date. Those hopes have shelf lives. There comes a point, even if the hope is fulfilled, there's nothing left to hope for in it. The best marriages end, the best careers end, the best hobbies end. There's only one hope that isn't a dying hope. It's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But there is still more in the hope that is given to us because Jesus isn't just a living hope in the sense that he's not going away. He's a living hope in the sense that we also have the most important things in him right now. He's living with us right now. See the language again of the text. We get God the Father in verse 3. We get the one, the one we were made to enjoy. The butterflies, the career advancement, the hobby of the month. There's one thing that we were made to enjoy, God the Father. We get great mercy in verse 3. We just sang about it in two different songs. What have we needed more than great mercy? We are guarded by God's power in verse 5. We, could, we probably will do a whole sermon on that someday. We have Jesus forever in verse 4. That's unimaginably hopeful because this means that we have him right now as the one thing our hearts needs most. So another, just like a request for your just... Just split the gap of your sternum and let in the reality that Jesus is a living, eternal friend. His is a living, eternal love. Only the mercy of Jesus can heal you. Only the presence of God can satisfy you. And he can do that regardless of the brokenness in your life. We live in hope-adverse times. However, Jesus is not impacted by anything that happens on this earth. I remember talking with a, a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine last year who was going through just a very difficult season. I won't get into the details, but at the end of him sharing with me, he said, but I'm not sure I've ever had more of Jesus. He's a good dude. I've never had more of Jesus. Guys, there's only one hope 
that we were literally made for, that's Jesus. There was o- there's only one relationship that we can literally, his friends, he walks with us, he guards us, he holds us. He's giving us heaven. And he's never going anywhere. So it's a future hope and it's a present hope because it's a living hope and all that is a gift simply given to us in Christ. Here's the second thing for you to see this morning about our hope in hopeless times. Hope is a gift given to you and hope is then an active element of your spiritual life. Hope is something supernatural that we are given in Jesus. And because we have been given it, it is something we can do, right? Because we have hope, this is really important. This is something I'm preaching to myself about. about. Brandon, believe this and be better at it. Because we have hope, we can hope. It is both a noun and a verb. And we've made it all this way, and I haven't told you what hope means yet. We know what it means, but let me make it clear using the Bible's language. The Greek word for hope, that's the original language that verse 3 was written in, is the word elpis, which I think is hilariously confusing because it sounds like trying to say peace in Spanish, (laughs) but it's actually saying hope in Greek. (laughs) That's amazing. Elpis. And El Peace means my favorite phrase on earth today. I'll have a different one by the time I preach next week. But my favorite place on earth today is the expectation of good. El Peace, hope, living hope is the expectation of good. It's a gift that becomes an expectation. This, I hope, is changing my life. And I hope it will change your life. Living hope in the resurrected Jesus is a gift intended to become the default way we see the world. So I'm a a preacher, and that means a lot of times I have to talk about things I'm not good at. (laughs) This is one of those things. In the gospel, our hope is always, always good. Because we, when we are in Jesus, when we are in our living hope, the one who always guards us, the one who gives mercy, the one who leads, who loves, even our seasons of suffering, of course we have them. The, even our seasons of suffering come with the expectation of future good. I like to keep my expectations focused on what will go wrong so I'm not disappointed. (laughs) Half empty so that you're not sad when it's half empty. Don't focus on the glass at all. Focus on Jesus. Read this in verses 6 through 9, the the next verses. You rejoice in this hope. I'm filling in the blank there. You rejoice in this even though for now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. To people who knew exile and murder and Mondays and pain, he writes, right now you rejoice in inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter is saying that Jesus is so good. He is so glorious. What he gives is so good and so glorious that for us, even in the face of suffering, our expectation can be for good. And it can be so strong, that expectation, that we rejoice. Lord, make us rejoicers. Jesus gives us hope. And when we experience that hope, we can act on it in any circumstances. We love him even though we don't see him. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in him. We rejoice because we've experienced him with inexpressible and glorious joy. And we know that his heart for us is wrapped up in that forever. I want to share the clearest example of this kind of hope that I've experienced in my life. I'm sure, I'm sure this is it. It was a time when there was no way I could give myself hope. And yet there it was. It was a gift, and it changed in that moment my expectation. So on the screen is a picture of the day in my life that probably seemed the most hopeless. This was, I think, the third day that our family was in China adopting our middle daughter, Joy. And Joy, as I've shared with you, you can't really tell in that picture, but uh, she was almost four in that picture. She was born without ears. She, she was deaf, is deaf. And we'd had her for three days in this picture, and you can see on Scarlett's face, like, that's the good picture of the day. <laughs> uh, she, Joy was dramatically developmentally delayed. She was almost four, but she couldn't walk. She wasn't potty trained. She wasn't eating solid foods. And we had talked to several doctors before going to China, and no one could give us any assurances that she would ever walk that she would ever have a healthy brain based on her medical rectors, medical, medical rectors. Our pediatrician said, don't, don't go, don't do it. I didn't say who the pediatrician is. Scarlett's like, don't say, I'm not saying the name. <laughs> He's a lovely man. We needed to be prepared, not only for sign language, but for the possibility, the, and to hear the doctor say it, the likelihood that we'd be loving a girl who would wear diapers and be in a wheelchair and uh, forever. So we knew that's a possibility, but then we got there, and that seemed like the scenario that was coming true. Um, our little girl had so much trauma, so many health issues. It seemed like, uh, the way I talked about it there, is I felt like we just adopted a body. And I, call, I remember calling my dad this night, in the middle of the night in Tianjin, China, and I told him everything that the doctors warned us about is coming true. Like, we were like, well, is happiness just gonna be gone from the world, you know? We all have had those seasons. And I told my dad, I've got to believe, right? the, the Bible teaches there will be joy in this. If this is, what we, this is what it is, there will be joy in this. But we felt crushed, we were scared. We couldn't give ourselves hope. But I'll never forget the moment that God gave us hope by reminding us that we had him today and forever. I had a moment where the water of my circumstances seemed so high that I thought I might, that I might sink. 
And God put verses in my heart from Romans 8. We were driving to sign papers in China, and I just, I could, I just kept, I asked the Lord, I need a word from you. Like, my heart was wrecked. I need something, Lord. And the phrase that, the phrase that he brought to my mind was, you have not been given a, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And I just, it was like a mantra. You have not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And I said it over and over, and I couldn't for the life of me remember what came next. And we got back to the hotel, and I found a Bible, and I read this. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. <laughs> it's a miracle. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I'm crying too much today. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if his children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Thank you, Jesus. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. And I was terrified that I couldn't be a good enough father and God. God reminded me, it's not your job. You have the good father. I was so stressed about this adoption and the Lord spoke to me the hope of my adoption. The depth of that hope is a miracle who is proven to be good. If that wasn't true, I don't know if we could have gotten on the plane to come back home. I don't, if that wasn't true, I don't know if you could go to work tomorrow to face whatever it is that you're going to face. If that wasn't true, maybe you couldn't go back to the doctor this week. Maybe you couldn't get out of bed to, to face what seems to be hopeless, what seems to be drowning you in sorrow. But it is true. Because though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And these sufferings aren't worth comparing to that glory. If we spend the next 40 years of our life changing diapers, we can still rejoice. If we spend the next 40 years being rejected or put it directly in that context, running for our lives <laughs> underground, facing religious persecution, guess what? Rejoice! For those of us who are sons and daughters of God, whatever we faith, face, our hope is living, our forever is coming, our hope is living, our forever is coming, literally happily ever after is coming for us. Hope is the expectation of good. Rejoice, the Bible says, for your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Rejoice in what the great preacher Jonathan Edwards said, that our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. That might be the best summation of Christian hope. Let's finish by reading just the last three verses of our text today to help us rejoice. Peter wrote, concerning this salvation, the prophet's, who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. 
it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. I'm really just, I'm done. I'm really just hoping these verses, these last couple of verses, lead us to worship here in a moment. That they lead us to rejoice. The angels don't need the hope that we need, but they long to catch a glimpse at something so glorious as what we have in Jesus Christ. The prophets knew hope was coming, but they could not hope for as much hope as the hope that was coming. And it came, and it came to us. It came to you. Hope forever. Hope tomorrow morning. Offering of Jesus Christ. The expectation of good. Where do you need the expectation of good in your life right now? Most of you will have an answer immediately. I have three. The expectation of good. Living hope in Jesus Christ. As we sing, the the altar will be open. If there is an area in your life where you need help expecting the good heart of a good father, we would love to pray for you. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, you need that hope. We would love to pray with you. But let us, let us have our hearts during this time moved to rejoice by what we have in our living hope, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you again for these brothers and sisters and for the good work that you have done on the cross in our behalf. God, I do pray that you would, man, what I want to pray right now is that you would make us less, like, Americanized. I expect everything to be easy. You expect everything to work out good. And I pray that you would give us joyful, rejoicing expectations of a good father, knowing that even though we still live in this broken world, the sufferings that we face can leave us with more of the one thing we were made of, made for than we've ever had before. And that even while that's happening, we live in the hope, the reality, that one, thing, that one day the thing we dread so much will cease. The one thing that hurts us so bad will be over. One day the thing we need most deeply will be complete. We look forward to that day. Help us to help one another along until that day. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you.